Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Grace Consumers, and it is part of the Stretch Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Last time we preached and we talked about Jonah in this series called Stretch, we had Jonah running from God, facing a storm. He's been thrown overboard at his request, by the way. He recognized that, that he was the cause of the storm, and they threw him overboard, and now he's about to be swallowed by a great fish, and I want, to talk about the consume, I want to talk about the significance of that. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, "On my distress I called the Lord, and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I call for help, and you listen to my cry. You hurl me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, O Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on to dry land. So Jonah survives the digestive system of a great fish. Now, Jonah didn't know it, but he was what we call a consumer of grace. This message is called Jonah, the consumer of grace. God had sovereignly chosen Israel, and God had sovereignly chosen Jonah. Israel to be his people, Jonah to be his prophet. We also know that during this time in history, Assyria had had, was beginning to have a lot of problems. Nineveh was in the capital of Assyria. Nineveh had had uh, an earthquake or Assyria, had had an earthquake. They'd had a, a total eclipse, which they considered that a bad omen. They had a, a, a successive famines that had visited Nineveh and the country of Assyria. They were in a vulnerable position. And into those circumstances, God wanted to send His servant as a channel of grace, forgiveness, and a second chance. God had big plans for Jonah's life. Plans that would immortalize him. Plans that would put him in the same sentence as Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that the sign that would be given of Jesus was like Jonah, he would be in the belly of the earth, in the belly of a fish for three days. 
God has important plans for your life today. God has big things for you, but they'll only be realized if you understand that you are not just a consumer of grace, but you are a dispenser of grace. I believe a values reset is needed. Amen? Grace giving versus grace taking is at the core of it. Jonah chapter 2 verse 8 says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. The word love there is the Hebrew word hesed, and it means grace. It can be translated grace. News flash to Jonah from God. I love Israel. I chose Israel. But I didn't just save Israel to save Israel. I chose Israel and saved Israel to save the whole world. Starting with Nineveh. Did you know there are people who cannot have what God wants them to have until you become what God wants you to be. There are people who cannot have what God wants them to have until you become what God wants you to be. Now, in listening to the sermon today, please listen. Be led by the Holy Spirit as you listen. Because you're not going to have the same experience as Jonah, at least I hope not. (laughs) You're probably not going to be called to prophesy to a country. The Things have really changed. In those days, if you wanted to get the news, you went outside. And there would be somebody yelling. And they'd be yelling whatever the latest thing was, whatever the, what was happening in the world. There would be people, heralds, as they would call them, who would go around shouting out the news of the day. Well, so if you go around the streets of Milford or Boston or Providence shouting things out, you're probably not going to convince anyone of anything except that you are a nut. So your calling is not going to be the calling of Jonah. In fact, I want you to be able to listen very well. The, the series is called Stretch. God wants to stretch you. God wants to make you uncomfortable. God wants to move you out of, well, it's cliche, but out of your comfort zone. And you've got to figure out today what that means for you. You've got to let the Holy Spirit show you. For some, it means physicality. You need to be at places that God wants you to be. For some, it means emotionally. For some, it means stretching your schedule. For some, it means stretching you intellectually. For some, it means stretching you financially. You've got to figure out what stretch you need. But I want to say three things to you today about Jonah and as a consumer of grace. Number one, consumers of grace don't realize life is not measured by what they become, but what they could have become. Number two, consumers of grace have separated wanting God's grace from wanting God's will. Number three, consumers of grace must experience the pain of living without grace. Because they take it for granted. Do you just want to go to heaven when you die? Or do you also want to experience the thrill of completing your assignment on earth? Don't you want to be the person of whom another person says, see the good place I'm in right now? It's because of so-and-so. You see where I'm at? You see my relationship with God? You see my family? It's because they took an interest in me. They noticed me. They used to call. They confronted me. They made me feel special. They picked me up for church. They showed me what a real family was like. They didn't run away to Tarshish. That you know, John Wiersma would would uh, 
asked me if I wanted to take a journey through the scripture with him. And he asked me that question, and then he started sending me texts every day with scriptures, and that changed the direction and course of my life. Uh, or, or, or Helen Manson came and told me that my kids were monsters, and she wanted to help me. And that changed the trajectory of my parenting. Or, 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 or Jason McCutcheon confronted me one day and gave me the skinny on what was really going on in my life. Or, or Christy McCutcheon, Christy Morais invited me to join her Bible study. Or Craig and Rhonda Wirt uh, cared about my elderly parents and started inviting them to stuff. And they were just all by themselves and didn't have any friends. And it was the first time in my life I realized what Jesus was like. And I became interested in Jesus. Or I was that, I was that senior, senior person who was isolated. And boy, look at all the friends I got here in heaven now. Because Craig and Rhonda Wirt put themselves out. I mean, Rhonda Wirt, it's her birthday this weekend. Uh, and uh, I, I, I got to tell you, she's the most earnest person and her, but beside the dictionary, the word earnest is Rhonda Wirt's picture. I don't know if she's here today. <laughs> but when they did the primetimers Christmas thing, she, made, she realized at the last minute they didn't have a Christmas tree. She made Craig go home and take down their Christmas tree and bring it over and set it up. <laughs> I thought my wife was pretty, pretty demanding sometimes, man. <laughs> that's, that's brutal. Who's the person you need to hold close instead of at arm's length? I, later, I'm going to refer back to the writer of the classic of Severe Mercy by Sheldon Vonneken. And uh, she, briefly, Sheldon Vonneken was uh, a young man, and he, 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 he met a woman named Jean Davis, a young lady, and they, they fell deeply, deeply in love. It's one of the great love stories of, of all time. And they moved, they were not interested in God at all. They, they, they thought Christians were, were crazy. They wanted nothing to do with it. And they, they moved to, to Oxford, England back in the mid-40s. And they met a bunch of people, including C.S. Lewis. And here's what he would write later in his book, A Severe Mercy. The sheer quality of the Christians we met at Oxford shattered our stereotype. And thenceforward, a reference in a book or a conversation to someone being a Christian called up an entirely new image. Wow, that's challenging to the day and hour that we live in right now, isn't it? There are two things I want for my life, and, and, and that is, I want there to be people in eternity that are there because of me. And I want people whose journey to eternity, to the new heavens and the new earth, is made easier because of me. That's what I want for you. So let's get going here. Consumers of grace don't realize they are not measured by what they become, but what they could have become. See, when it's all said and done, you're going to measure what you were compared to what you could have been. That's what, you're going to, that's what your measure is going to be. With Jonah, his trajectory was to preserve Israel. That, that was his whole life. He was, his nation was his baby. That's all he cared about. But God said, okay, Jonah, you can have Israel and Nineveh. You can save Israel, 
and you can save Nineveh. You can be more than you thought you could be. I heard a, a preacher many, many years ago named Lauren Fox who had a dream. And, and you've, I don't know if you've wondered about this, but I thought about this a lot. The scripture in Revelation that says, he will wipe all away tears from their eyes. And, and there, there's another verse there that says there will be 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Now, you can't be dogmatic about what I'm about to say. I, I don't, we don't really know what the tears are about or the silence is about. The tears, the tears could just refer to a lifetime of tears that we all have and sorrows and difficulties that the Lord will wipe away. But Lauren Fox had a dream one night that, that he felt was from God. And he saw every, all the multitude of saints in heaven and they were all weeping. And they were all weeping because they saw what they accomplished compared to what they could have accomplished. They saw what they were compared to what they could have been. And in this dream, Jesus Christ takes the giant, giant handkerchief and wipes away everyone's tears and helps them I mean, it wouldn't be heaven if we had to spend eternity. It wouldn't be the new heavens and new earth if we had to spend eternity in angst because of our failures in life. That, so that's God's mercy and grace. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But I know that I've watched this for so many years from this crow's nest that I sit and stand in. And I've watched people who say things like this to me. You don't understand, Phil. I have to take care of my family. I'm talking about when, you, when, when they get challenged to make their life count for someone else. You don't understand, Pastor Phil, I have to pay my bills. You don't understand, Pastor Phil, I have to build my career, run my business. You don't understand, Pastor Phil, how I, how I live my life so responsibly and so successfully is my gospel witness to the world. Stop there for a minute. If Jesus had only lived a good life and been a silent witness... If he had only done that, instead of confronting us, comforting us, fed us, healed us, instructed us, died for us, conquered hell for us, and left us with this statement, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father, you would not be a Christian today. Amen. I've watched some people who were called by God to make a difference, who, unlike Jonah, sailed on through the storm and made it to Tarshish. My heart breaks for them, but even more for the people they could have affected. Some will say, you don't understand. I can't give my grace to them because they've really hurt me. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how difficult and awful they are. I also hear, you don't understand the complicated and difficult position it would put me in if I give grace to that person or that type of person or those group, that group of people. By the way, those were Jonah's two big objections in fact, I have, a lot of, uh, I have a lot of mercy for Jonah because I, I've done a little bit of research and found out how nasty the Ninevites were. They were nasty. They were horrible. And I told in the first sermon, all the, look it up, Google it. You'll see what horrible, inhumane people that they were. And a lot of their inhumanity and horribleness was aimed at Israel. They had gone in and completely annihilated Samaria, which was part of Israel. And not only that, they had put a tribute on Israel and, and, uh, and they were charging, Israel was having to pay taxes to Assyria and Assyria gave them no services for the taxes they paid. 
It was just a tribute. It was like mafia. It was you pay it or we kill you. Now Jonah's going to go and, ha- and tell them how to be saved. And he knows. See, Jonah was the most aware guy I've ever... He, he was so aware. And that, that, no, that's why God probably called him, because th- this dude was aware. He understood grace. He understood God's love and mercy. He, he, he knew God. He understood he was... You're, you're, wasn't it cool when he gets on the boat, hey guys, I'm running from God. <laughs> I'm running from God. I just want you guys to know I'm running from God. I've never had anybody do that to me. I never had, you know, Susan, I've had to tell people, hey, you're running from God. No, I'm not. I'm not running from God. <laughs> yes, you are. We have a big argument. Yes, you're running from God. Don't but Jonah goes, I'm running from God. How many people are that self-aware? This dude was self-aware. He was aware of God. He knew everything that was going on. And he knew that the whale was his salvation. He knew that it was a sanctuary where he was going to meet God. I, I, I kind of like this guy. And he knew that he had to go back to Israel and face everybody. He knew God was going to forgive them, and he knew they might not stop charging them taxes. They might, not, they might still charge a tribute. God didn't say, if you will go there and preach, they will stop charging you taxes. No, God didn't say that. I don't know if they did or not. I don't know what happened. But he had to go back and face. He, this was a bad career move. For Jonah, this was really bad. This put him in a horrible position. Imagine God leading you to minister to someone and your family is going to despise you for ministering to them. Your family is going to think you've lost your mind and they're not going to like it. That's the position that Jonah was in. Uh, the Midrash is an ancient Jewish commentary on the Hebrew Scriptures. It's like a you know, you, I don't know, probably some of you look up scriptures and you, you do things like that, and, and so you read commentaries. I hope you do. I hope you're intellectually exercising yourself spiritually, I hope. Uh, but the, the, the Midrash came from the second century, and it was actually even before that they would write about scripture. And I thought this was so interesting. In the Midrash, they explain what Jonah feared most was that he would actually succeed. <laughs> you have anybody like that in your life? You're afraid they will get saved. You know, that you're afraid they would actually succeed in his mission and the people of Nineveh would repent. I believe some of God's people are afraid they're going to be successful in ministry. Hey, do you fear that people might actually start showing up at your house to receive your hospitality? And your wisdom? Oh, I just, I'll come to church on Sunday. I don't want people showing up at my house on Monday, Monday night for hospitality and to receive God's love and wisdom. Uh, Do you fear that you might have a successful ministry in the community that will add to your schedule? Do you fear the people who are quite unlike you will start wanting to be around you because they see Jesus in you? By the way, God didn't tell Jonah to change the world. He just said, go to Nineveh. So important way to listen to the sermon today is, God, what is my next step? Don't try to save the world. Just what is my next step? And the next step is not even to go to Nineveh. It's just take a step toward Nineveh. See, Nineveh was a three-day walk, I believe I remember reading that. Three, four-day walk. 
So he just had to start taking steps. So that's all I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to leave this just church house today taking a step toward obedience to God that will bless another and stop just being a consumer of grace. Consumers of grace have separated wanting God's grace from wanting God's will. It's not a weird thing or an odd thing or an amazing thing that you desire God. It's the most innate, basic desire that humans have. Is we want. I mean, why do you think we have celebrities? Why do you think we put people on pedestals? We want a God. We are desiring of that. So uh, I thought about this, and you know, having someone desire us is, a, is, a, is something we like, right? You like being desired? How many of you like being desired? You like being desired? If someone desires us um, uh, in terms of our possessions and they admire what we have, uh, someone uh, for our personality or even our physicality, that can be kind of exhilarating, but only if they also want to please us, respect us, empowering us, and are also interested in carrying out our desires. There's that point, and we've all experienced it somewhere in our life, when a person goes beyond desiring us to consuming us. When a person goes beyond admiring us, enjoying us, to wanting to have their way with us. That's what happened to Jonah. Jonah had begun beyond desiring God to wanting to control God. He had gone beyond desiring God to consuming God. And God's, God, for God, the, our love relationships are negotiations. I said, for God, our love relationships, whether they're human or divine, our love relationships are supposed to be negotiations. I'm glad you want, I'm glad you want to spend time with me. That's great. But don't come over tonight. Come tomorrow night. I'm washing my hair tonight. God, think about it. God, the ruler of the universe, why should he enter into a love relationship with me that I begin to dominate him? Why should he enter into a love relationship with me that I begin to control him and that I am not interested? How many, how many of you have ever had, you know, how many of you ladies have ever had a boyfriend like that? Wasn't interested in what you desired. Wasn't interested in what you wanted. Wasn't interested in pleasing you. Was only interested in having you. Well, how do you think God feels? With a bunch of people who just want to have him. Who, who treat him like a vending machine. A utilitarian object. Hey, I think I'll have a Reese's Pieces today. That's what I'm in the mood for. God becomes a utilitarian object. God becomes a means of our pleasure. God becomes a means of our self-gratification. Listen. Desiring God's favor and desiring God's will are the two inseparable sides of loving God. It's not that God doesn't want to bless you. It's that He wants to bless you beyond what you can imagine. And I will naturally limit God to my imagination. 
It's not that God doesn't want to have your best interest, God doesn't have your best interest at heart. It's that God understands the deeper, deeper longing of your heart for meaning and purpose. I will naturally limit God because of my fears. I will try to control him because of my fears and how I feel. The church just can't stay in Jerusalem. The message that caused Jesus to be opposed is the, that the grace of God wasn't going to stay in Jerusalem when Jesus came to this earth. It's actually what got him killed. It was going to be released to the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. And loving God is God saying, oh, I'm so glad you love me. Let's go do some work together. Let's partner together. I'm so glad you love me. I love you too. Now let's go care about somebody else. Oh no, I wasn't, I wasn't signing up to go do something. I wasn't go signing up to be something for somebody else. God, I just, wanted, I just wanted to be alone with you. No, Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, he looked them in the eye one day, and I know they didn't want to hear this. Because they wanted to hear, come and be with me. He said, go. Go into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and baptized will be saved. Go. Go. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Go. If you have a relationship with God and you love Him, you're going to put the go back in the gospel. Amen? Consumers of grace must experience the pain of living without grace. Jonah says, see, Jonah's this is a type of hell. Jesus, Jesus, theologians differ on whether it literally happened or figured, I don't care. Literally or figuratively, Jesus went to hell. We know he experienced hell for us. Jonah was experiencing the pain of being so totally separated from God. Joseph, Jonah, God was making him experience the pain of what the Ninevites were experiencing. God was making him feel what they felt already and what they were going to feel in spades in eternity. And he said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, O Lord my God, brought me life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to idols, cling to worthless idols, turn away from God. You know, I believe in that sentence. He is recognizing that he had turned to a worthless idol. He had made a, an idol out of his own nation, of his own people. And that happens. I see it happen all the time. It happens to us. We make idols of our, we, we even make idols of our church. We make idols of our, our family. We make idols of our spouses. We make idols of our jobs. We make idols of our careers. It's when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. That's what an idol is. He says, cling to worthless idols, turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I believe there are two types of grace consumers. There are um, conscious grace consumers, conscious grace consumers, who... Uh, live selfishly as they please. They're very aware of it. And, and they're so grateful for God's grace. They're constantly telling you, 
how forgiven they are. They constantly tell you, you know, they will tell you, God, God forgives me before I sin. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's wonderful. <laughs> this, is the, this is me and God. You know, Tom T. Hall, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus, we're buds. And uh, I, I, I love those people, by the way. There's, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them around. A lot of them in the church. Just They understand. They do actually understand how gracious God is. And they do understand that God is loving and kind. And we all need to understand that. I can't live. I can't live with the guilt that I deserve to live with. I can't, I can't handle it. I can't handle... I can't handle... Then that's what happened to Jonah. He had to live with all this. He got thrown into a situation where he had to face all this guilt. And that's what I would feel like. I would feel like Jonah in the belly of the well if I had to really share with you everything I've done wrong in my life. I'm not proud of those things or those moments. But I'm, I'm thankful for that God that the cons- grace consumer that's conscious understanding. But, but there's another type of grace consumer, and it's really more what Jonah was. And that's the unconscious grace consumer. Th- that, the unconscious grace consumer has reduced the grace of God to a single transaction. And that was the day they got saved. God saved me. God chose me. God, that's what Jonah, God chose me as a covenant relationship with, with Israel. By his grace, I was born into Israel. God loved me enough to not let me born into some other, other country because that would be the worst. I, I was born into my, in God's grace. But the, uh, the unconscious grace consumer re, will acknowledge God's grace initially but says, okay, God, I got it from here. I have never pleased. It's the elder brother in Luke 15. I keep all the rules. I do everything I'm supposed to do. I'm ultra, I'm ultra responsible. I, am, I always take the moral high ground. I am a good person. God doesn't have to give me any grace. Because I am a good person. I am a good per- woman. I'm a good man. I take, care of every- I take care of all my responsibilities. I don't even need the Holy Spirit. It's, it's just, I don't even need it. It's great. God can, say, God can send the Holy Spirit to those, those, those out-of-control grace consumers who are sinning all the time and know they're sinning all the time and always bragging about how forgiven they're. God can use all His grace on them because I got this handled. That's what happened to Jonah. It's, it's false. It's a false it's a false sense of security. Because when you get in that mindset, you have no grace. You have very little grace to give. You have very little grace to give for those around you. Very little grace to give for the world that around you because you have become a moralist and you believe in your own effort. Um, C.S. Lewis... Um, God, well, let me... Let me find my place here. God will often use what C.S. Lewis called a severe mercy. And where that comes from, remember I said early in the message I talked about um, Sheldon Vonneken um, and his, 
and, 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 and Jean Davis, the woman he fell in love with. When they went to, um, when they went to um, live in Oxford, they had just gotten married, and they had, their marriage was the most important thing in the world to them. And, and in fact, they, they said, nothing is going to get between us. They call it their shining barrier. They shared everything. They went everywhere together. All of their life was together. And then they became Christians. But the only thing is Jean became a much more uh, enthusiastic Christian than Sheldon. She would go to church. If he didn't want to go to church, she would go without him. And he, later he would say, as he wrote his book, he became jealous of God because he felt that she loved God now even more than she loved him. She had a relationship with Jesus. And, and, um, and unfortunately, she got a virus that attacked her liver, and she died. And she, he began to write a book. And in this book, you see letters back and forth from Sheldon Vonnegut to C.S. Lewis. And here's what Lewis wrote to him one day. Lewis wrote that he believed Vonnegut's struggles had their root in the fact that he had made an idol of love. And it was killing his faith. Lewis said something in this scenario would inevitably have to die, the idol or the faith. The worst option, Lewis said, was for their faith to die while Van and Davy kept on living. That's what he called them. Lewis said, you've been treated with a severe mercy. In other words, having to go through this valley of death was a severe mercy and it's what happened to Jonah. God, God had to get his attention, so he gave him a severe mercy. And some of you, somebody listening to me right now, you're going through something. Everything you go through is not a severe mercy. Life is hard, and life hands you bad things. But somebody in this room is going through something that is a severe mercy. God is trying to, to keep you from being an idolater so that you miss the joy of having a life that's totally committed to him. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. From inside the fist Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. In my distress I called to the Lord. And he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I have called for help. God wants you to depend on his grace. So that you can share it with others. One thing that Jonah had going for him. As I said earlier was he was so aware. So some of us are going through hell. And we, we're not aware that God is trying to teach us something. That God is trying to get to us. See Jonah was an unconscious conscious consumer of grace, he might have realized the grace of being a part of God's chosen people, but once the contract with God was signed, divine favor and blessing was all earned. And God, God caused him to say, I believe the greatest statement in the Bible in chapter, verse 9 of chapter 2. Here's what he said. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I believe that's the greatest statement in the Bible. Jonah now realized salvation wasn't from being a good Jew. Salvation wasn't from just keeping all the commandments. He realized in the belly of the well that all of us are hopeless without the grace of God. 
And it was that recognition that made the fish sick. And made the fish spit him up and get him on his way. Tim Keller said repentance is not just the way into salvation. It is the way of salvation. Grace consumers, which we all are, I'm calling us today to acknowledge our privilege. Our privilege is found in 1 John 1, 14. 1 chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 4. 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard, so that also we may have fellowship with us, he may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his dear Son, Jesus Christ. See? The repentant Jonah's response to recognize the privilege of salvation that was not his own effort, but a gift from God, is to, that he submitted his schedule. And this is what we will do. Submit our schedule, our personalities, our physical bodies, our words, our communication, our bank accounts, our property, our dwelling place, all the furnishings in our dwelling place, our means of transportation, our prayer, our energy. We commit them to the dispensing of grace to the world around us. If you want hell to spit you out, pray. Oh God, I was wrong to assume I didn't need grace to be where I am, to be what I am, to know what I know. And have what I have. Not the labors of my hand, the song says, can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Salvation comes from the Lord. And when we realize that, we realized I owe it to everybody because it was unearned by me. Therefore, every person on the planet, the people I live with, the people in my church, the people I work with, the people on my street, because it was free to me, I need to freely give it to them. That's the point of this sermon. Who we are as honest grace consumers, we will ask. We ask, as grace consumers, here's what we ask. Miroslav Bob called this the American Gospel's experiential satisfaction test. I don't know how happy you will be. I don't know. But according to 1 John 1, 4, we write this to you. I got a feeling that complete joy is better than experiential satisfaction. I said, I got a feeling that complete joy that comes from God is going to be better in your life than experiential satisfaction. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Christy, come and close us. I can't stop.